My grandma has always said, it's wonderful that you have so many friends, and I agree with her. During the pandemic, I realized how much I miss seeing the people who make my life so bright and interesting, and I wanted to find a way to introduce all of these stars to the world. And so I created this podcast. You, dear listener, will get a chance to be introduced to those who make my world hum with possibility. We will talk about serious things, silly things, sad things, glorious things, and things that make us feel alive. So settle in. It's just you and me. Hello, everyone. We are back. I am thrilled to be sitting in my computer talking to Ellie. Ellie, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Tell me who you are and how do we know each other? So I know you because you were my youth pastor. That's right. I was in middle and high school, which was amazing. And uh, so, that was, so, so that was how many years? So how many years ago? How long have 13 years have we known each other? Oh my God, really? <laughs> well, I would think so. If you were like yeah. 12. Yeah. And now I'm 25. Yeah. That's, that's a long time. That's a long time. Okay. Um, I was your youth minister. I also was your boss. Yes. Yes. You were also my boss at, at summer camp. Very strict Great boss. boss. No, Great boss. Not at all. We did a lot of crafts. We did a lot of uh, hanging out. And I, you tell, and me, I, about the, you tell me about the bachelor. I did. <laughs> wow. I'm proud of, I'm proud of me for that. Um, I also, I, I don't know if I ever taught you this, but I taught Mo, um, the most important thing about work is that there's always more work. So you need to pace yourself. I, I think you did teach me The first weeks, you guys, cause you did a lot of, you know, like lawn work and stuff. So like the first week you would like, go, 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 go. And it's like, guys, you don't understand. There's never a stop. Like there will always be more stuff to do. So you have to chill out and like, take your time. And, you know, I'm not saying don't work hard, but like, got to pace yourself. But I don't know if that necessarily works for you. So tell me a little bit about who you are right now as an actual adult that I can't believe. (laughs) So uh, I'm, I'm Ellie. Uh, I am a uh, cisgender female. I am a queer educator uh, in St. Louis and uh, I'm a huge nerd and um, I love science. Oh, what? I mean, like, I don't know how you possibly encompassed your entire being in like a minute, but you somehow did. Um, (laughs) I'm very proud of you. And tell me like, okay, if you had to describe yourself in like a couple of words that you haven't already used, what would you say? That I haven't already used? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, loud. Yeah. Yes tall (laughs) yes okay fine um i would i would like to think that 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 i'm a good listener that that's a trait that that i have um just in a couple of words yeah and i would say i would say incredibly passionate and very um like 
people focused. Like I remember when you were like 12 and you were doing like peace rallies and like you were like Greta Thunberg, like junior, 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 right? I mean, you, it was like very, very much on like the, on like the, the very grassroots level, but you still were like, I'm a, I'm gonna make some change. And I really, I was always, I always was like, look at this one. She's gonna do something and be someone pretty, pretty insane when she's, when she's old. It's, it's so funny that you mentioned the peace rallies because that's come up more this year than like ever, ever before, wow. which is, which is wild. Yeah. Because after I graduated from high school and then I went to college and uh -huh. it just never, I never brought it up. It never came up with my friends yeah. from college. I wasn't really friends with anybody from high school. Yeah, right. And really since George Floyd was killed, the peace rallies have just come up in, in interesting ways with people who were involved in them. And it, it has, it, it has been cool. I had not realized how many people, how that had stuck with people. Cause it was just, a, yeah. it was just a thing that, that we did, but yeah. yeah. So, okay. So we're going to talk about your, you being a teacher and you specifically being a teacher in St. Louis. And so I think it might be important for you to share uh, the school that you work at and maybe the population of students that you work at, especially in this current, you know, climate. Yeah, so I work in the Ferguson Florissant School District, um, which uh, Ferguson, Missouri is where Michael Brown was shot and killed. Um, and so my students, uh, so I have taught at the middle school level and at the high school level in this district. Um, now I'm a high school teacher. And so all of the students who whom I have taught uh, lived lived through the protests of 2012 and now since then have seen our town um, evoked in, in a lot of different ways, some positive and some really negative. And, and that has, that, that is, that is something that I always have to remember uh, always. And so the way we talk about police brutality in my classroom might look very different than other districts. Um, because I also, so yes, to talk about the populations, I also teach predominantly students of color and moving from the middle to the high school, I, 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 I went from teaching at just a, a comprehensive middle school to the one honors high school in the district, okay. uh, which is application based. So instead of just students from one neighborhood, it's now students yeah. from all over the district, which is a different yeah. dynamic. Yeah. So how is it? How is that being a white woman teaching a, a kids of color, black kids? You know, what what is that like? So I'm I'm really I'm 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 so glad we're just having a frank conversation about this. That's so great because I I think that sometimes white people kind of dance around, especially with educators, dance around the fact of like oh white like no 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 this is something that we need to yeah. talk about. And so yeah. for me, when I started teaching as a young teacher, I came from a small arts um and never a conversation about race yeah. to teaching in Ferguson, Missouri. And also this is an important detail I started teaching. And then in September that year, Eric Stockley, who was an officer who shot and killed another black man in St. Louis um, several years prior, uh, was acquitted without any charges. And that happened in September, my first year of teaching. And and when I, when I took this job teaching at the middle school, I took it because it was just a job that was offered. I, yeah. I, I did not, 
I, I, I didn't get it. And I have learned a lot um, from, from my students. My students are the, are the most incredible people in, in, in the world. They're my most favorite people in the world. I, I love working with them so much. And I mean, if I, I, it, it would be so hard to sum up what, what learning this experience has been like, cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not done in this district. Like I'm, I'm yeah. staying here for a while cause there's still, there's, there's still stuff to do. And so, uh, and, and, and still kids to work with. Um, but I have become so aware of my privilege as, as a white woman. And for the first time in my life was in a, in, in a room where I was the only white person, um, because I have never had more than, oh gosh, four or five white kids in a class ever in my whole time teaching in this district. And, and, and recognizing that as a white person, you do have privilege and especially in a classroom because that sets up a different dynamic and, and, and understanding that. And then from that perspective, how do you talk to students? How do you talk to adults of your yeah. students? What, do, what does that look like? And, and learning from every experience um, before like when I graduated from college and started this job, I, I thought that I had to be right all the time and mm -hmm. I couldn't ever make a mistake, which I don't know, like, yeah, I, a, a, lot, a, a lot of people coming out of college think that, but I have, uh -huh. I, I have made so many mistakes and, and I, I've had students call me, call me out on that. And, and every situation where I've messed up, I, I've, I've tried really hard to learn from that and then and then move forward and then not make that mistake again, because that's the only way we learn. And I think, especially as, as a white person, that that's something that I really need to understand. Like, I'm 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 gonna mess up, and so then I take that moment and I say, "Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Thank you for correcting me." I think it's also good that you, it sounds like, have created a classroom space or um, a space with parents that you have where you are potentially seen as someone that will be accepting of criticism and of conversation. And so how did you do that? Oh my God. Because um, I think it's really, I think that's really hard to set up that dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, so I think I learned about it kind of in a roundabout way. So I, I had this, I had this really specific memory in the middle school, my first year teaching, and it actually has to do with, with discipline and discipline of students of color versus white students. Yeah. And in my first, in my first year teaching, um, th this incident happened with, with two different students, one of whom was white, one of whom was black. And, and the suspension was completely different. Mm. The way that looked was completely different. And, and at the time that put up a red flag for me, but then, I mean, it was, it, it, it was much later that I started to be more explicit about that in, in classrooms, but also what, what that, just talking about creating that culture when I, I've started and, and maybe, maybe this is wrong, but, but as a teacher, I'm like, okay, if I can fix things on my end with a student or repair a relationship with a student and an adult, I'd rather do that than escalate the situation to like referrals and with administration. And yeah. like that doesn't help anybody. And yeah. so maybe we don't talk about this in teacher education programs, but adults of students and teachers were on the same team. Like everybody is on the same team and understanding that the teacher and the adult have got to work together and the students got to, I, I, we're, we're all, 
understanding that team dynamic is huge. And so I kind of learned that from trying to solve problems at the classroom level, because I was seeing that when situations escalated and started to involve administration, at, at least in my building, that was not a positive situation for anybody. Okay. And so and so on that, I, I, th- I think that that was how, how I learned that, but also just build, building a sense of trust, like especially now with virtual teaching, everybody talks about, oh my gosh, relationships with students are so important. And yes, that is so true because yeah. I, I'm, I'm in this weird situation this year where I've had about 60% of my students already. Wow. Um, and so coming, yeah, I, I know, I know, right? Yeah. So coming into this year, I already had relationships with students. Mm-hmm. And so... A student, oh my gosh, a student's refrigerator went out. Hey, do you, what, what do you need? Do you need a cooler? What, what's going on? I've had that relationship with my students, with Mm -hmm. adults too, that has become such an asset this year because it's it's really hard to build a relationship with somebody over a screen. Uh, But that team dynamic has been huge. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, I think you kind of alluded to this and obviously I know you very well, but Talk about your growing up, because I do think as someone who had a similar experience growing up, being in the particular location that you are now is very different from your experience as a kid. Yeah. So I, and you grew up in Elmhurst? Elmhurst, yeah. Yep. You're right. Yeah. So I grew up in a suburb that's adjacent to Elmhurst. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's where it was use of the word adjacent. So I grew up in Downers Grove, which is another um, suburb of Western Chicago. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, on the South side, went to uh, public school all through my life. Um, most Mostly white. Uh, my parents um, both work in both were in the public sector. So my dad is an educator, worked at my high school. My mom's a librarian, worked at the library downtown. Um, and I uh, through and we like just li- lived in the suburbs. Like if you think stereotypical suburban family, like that was that that was my yeah. family, and didn't really have a whole lot of exposure to to anywhere outside of the suburbs, just because that was our that was our little bubble. I think I think I've heard you say that before. Like it, it's mm-hmm. just a bubble of the western, mm-hmm. western suburbs. And then where I ended up going to college is also its own little bubble, which is weird because it's in Indiana, but it's still a bubble of the Western suburbs of Chicago. (laughs) And it is, it's a small Lutheran university. So it attracts uh, Lutheran students from, from, from private schools, but mostly white from around, from around the Midwest. And I, I, not a very diverse campus, uh, really itty bitty. And then I moved to a major city where I teach majority students of color. And so that that jump, I guess I just kind of had by accident because I was just applying for jobs and it just happened to be where where I got a job. But that's that's where I it's it's like two different they're two very different spaces. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think a lot about for me, just the with all of the experiences that I have, and I do think that there is, you know, my I think my kind of eye-opening experience as far as understanding how homogenous the suburbs are was when I started working in Chicago, right? And so similarly with you working in St. Louis, you're all of a sudden seeing, oh, okay, that there there are multiple different types of peoples who have socio socioeconomic um, levels, right? There's different ethnicities, there's different races, there's different, gen- I mean, when I was growing up, there definitely was 
it wasn't as, you know, LGBTQ issues were not um, as widely discussed as they are now. I mean, there's, we're certainly not in a place that we could be, but, you know, I think that there's just such beauty in the, the breadth of peoples, right? The types of peoples, peoples from different countries. And so how has that experience, just even living in the city, colored how you are, you know, living within a teach their teaching world? Wow. Oh my gosh. I, wow. What a, what a good question. So I, uh, my gosh, well, first of all, I think living in, I was just talking about this with somebody li- living in the city, just, it's always something that I knew that I wanted to do was living, was living in a city and living uh-huh. here now. So I, so actually it's really interesting. So when I moved to St. Louis, um, I found um, the cheapest apartment that I could afford. Uh, and so I moved in with my grandma and then moved to the city. And I moved to this section of St. Louis um, on Delmar, which if I, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with, with St. Louis. Um, I am not, but I have okay. many people in my life who love St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But so, so my apartment was on Delmar and Delmar, that it's a street that runs uh, pretty much through the whole city from uh, east okay. to west. And okay. it's known as the Delmar Divide. And I kind of lived on the Delmar Divide. And so it's this very racially and socioeconomically segre- segregated area. And mm-hmm. I live on the street where that line is. Yeah. And so when I would drive to my apartment, it would look that neighborhood would look totally different than if you went two blocks the other direction and yeah. and that right and that right away I, I had never been in in a space where where i saw the systemic racist systems in our country play out so 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 visually in front of me or I had I, I, I had never seen it I, I had never been aware of my white privilege in that way before and and that really what was was such the year that I lived there was I I, I just saw so much and, and learned and learned so much from living in that area um but now I live in in a really culturally diverse area and so three blocks west of me is it's it's this uh, it's a small business district where there are um, it's just a really ethnically diverse business business neighborhood and it is fantastic and ev- and everybody is so cool and the food is delicious and it, it it's it's just amazing. I just I find it I find it to be important. I, I don't I think one thing that's that's you know as we continue to really as white people get a grasp on how to even talk about our racism and racism in general and systematic oppression, you know, I think there's value in, in understanding where people come from, because I don't think it's an excuse, but I do think that it shapes how you may interact in the world. And I think that if you don't have interactions with people or experience that I don't want to say are good, but that just even just happen, then it's like all you believe and all you see is what's the garbage that's on the television. Right. And like, I mean, I experience this a lot with just like doing Islamic studies, you know, 
there are a lot of people that I know that are just like, well, I don't know Muslims. And so, and I'm not really interested in finding them because also that's another part of white privilege. We can stay in our bubbles forever and it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, we just, that's, we don't have to go anywhere. It's, it's completely, it's, it's bizarre to me that anyone would, would want to do that. But I think that it's important to, to, for you to share like who you were and not who you were, but who you are, where you come from, because I do think that that it shows, you know, how, how interested you are in coming out of your comfort zone, which again, you don't have to, unfortunately. And that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be an educator who actually becomes educated, right? Like your journey hasn't ended with school, your schooling. And I, 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 I love that. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I just, I just think that that's, I'm not trying to be like preachy, but I, <laughs> I just feel, I just feel like it's important that everybody understands. And, and in some ways it's kind of interesting because the, the church, even though I'm not, I don't really go to church anymore, um, that we met at, you know, the whole, the whole motto is God is still speaking. And I think in some ways there's this undercurrent of like, you never stop learning. You never stop growing. You shouldn't stop growing or learning. And if you do, that's a problem. I don't know why I've just decided to all of a sudden tell you this things you already know, but I'm curious from your point of view, what have, what have you gotten out of being a teacher so far? Oh my gosh. We're only going to talk for an hour. This could be like a six hour conversation. Bring it on. Bring it on. Oh my. So I did not want to go into teaching in high school. That was not what I wanted to do. I wasn't even looking at education programs. Wait, do you know this, that I was looking at youth pastoral programs? No, that's a nightmare. I'm glad you didn't do it. <laughs> and just kind of ended been, up. You would have been fine at it, but you would have burned out really quickly and you would have hated it. it I, I am glad that that is not what, what I chose. I am happy yeah. with, with what I chose. But I, yeah. I just... I. I don't even really remember choosing a major, but I, oh my gosh, it, teaching is, it's, all of it is just great. I actually, so. But what changed, hold on, hold on. What changed your mind? Like how did, where did you go from, I don't want to do this to now all of a sudden I'm doing it. So I wish, I truly wish that I could answer that question. And I have no idea. I have no memory of choosing an education major. I was just an education <laughs> okay. major when I showed up at Valparaiso. <laughs> okay. Amazing. I don't know. I actually think that because they didn't have a youth pastor program at Valparaiso, yeah. I chose education because I was like, okay, that's like adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, that was just what, what stuck. Um, but so, so this past year, well, it hasn't been a year yet. It's going to be a year in a couple of months of not being in the space with kids I did not realize how hard that was going to be un- until it until it happened. Yeah. And what what I what I love about my job. And so you were talking about like just just like pace yourself, take 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 a breather. And I have tried so hard to do that in my job, and it is so hard for me because yep. what I what what is so important to me about and a- any educator anywhere in any classroom, whether you are whether you're in a classroom or not whatever educator you are, that that you are listening to students, that you are showing them as well as telling them that they are loved, and then 
just helping them figure out what the hell is going on in the world and yeah. encouraging them to ask questions. And I mean, I'm so, so I'm a science teacher and so I, I, I teach science, but I mean, I've always said through middle and high school, if my, my primary goal is to teach you how to be a good person and, and what, yeah. and how to treat people with respect and how to ask good questions and, I mean, all, all the science stuff is important too. I'm, all, yeah. all, all of it is important, but it, it is, it is such a joy to to talk to students and have conversations and just hear about their lives. Oh my gosh, after school programs are probably my most favorite part of of being a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. I I ended up I I ended up technical directing the the musical last year, which is a whole other thing. And amazing, amazing. It, it okay. was. It was so much fun and we had no money and we just yeah. ripped doors apart to make a set like it was ridiculous, but it was so much fun. And and, yeah. and even virtually the time outside of class, I had a group of students just show up at a Zoom in, in October and they were like, do you want to play Among Us? And I was like, I don't even know what Among Us is. Wait, wait, do you play? <laughs> I don't, but I actually know what it is, but I do not play. And so it's like these 15 kids on a Zoom call and they're all in an Among Us game and I'm just like randomly interjecting things and they're like, Rock, shut up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. But it was just that that community with students and just showing them that they matter and that they can be whatever they want to be. And that if doors need to be kicked down to get there, like I'm your biggest advocate, like I'm ready to bust through door to get you where you need to be, let's go. And yeah. I, I, that, that's, that's why I love my job. And that's what I've, I didn't realize how much I was going to love that until I was in it, but mm. now and I really, in, what's interesting, that, you know, that you've talked about is that, you know, teaching is never, of course, there are, there are online, especially in college, there is ability to have online courses, but in the majority of the education system, as it is right now, this is completely out of anyone's realm of what it could possibly look like. I mean, because it's not like, it's not, I mean, I, I think about it for you, like how in the world, you know, when I was by when I was in my bio classes in high school, like we did labs, like we did like, and I talk about this to my, my students at Duke who I am an advisor for. And like, they're like, yeah, you know, we just kind of like do things online. So how, and I'm going to get back to, because I, I want to talk a little bit more about race in the classroom, but I am curious, and this is very selfish of me, how in the hell do you teach biology virtually? So actually, can we talk about teaching anatomy virtually? Because yeah. biology can be done. So so I teach bio that's anatomy. True. Okay, that's true. Because how do you dissect something virtually? <laughs> So we're not dissecting anything right now, but what, okay. um, so my class is based on, is based around models and building stuff. And I, I don't lecture, that's not my style. I'm a really bad lecturer. My students learn everything through open inquiry and by teaching each other. That's the way we do class. Okay. And, okay. and at the start of the year, I was like, oh my God, how are we, how are we gonna do models? Because I don't know if kids have printers. I can't send home paper and scissors. Like 
I'm not going to do that. And so I got little things of Play-Doh and sent every one of my students home with a little thing of Play-Doh. And we, and the first, this was so cool. The, we do this lab where the first week of school, they got to build the muscles of, of the face because we talk oh, about yeah. Yeah, the muscles of the face. And so they all have Chromebooks. And so they have my class up on their phone. It was such a cool day. So they have my class up on their phone on the Zoom and they have um, like a, uh, it, it's like a PDF file mm -hmm. that's just open on their Chromebook and they're mm -hmm. building, they're like putting pieces of Play-Doh on their Chromebook as we're doing class, as I'm building the model in my apartment. And I mean, it, it was, it, it was nuts. And also because these classes are not small, like I teach in an urban, I teach in an urban district. So my classes are 25 to 30 students yeah. and which is like generally not a good way to do anatomy, but I mean, it's the way we do anatomy. And so I, I, I just figuring out ways to do that. We, I've, oh my gosh, Google is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> like there are ways to do student collaboration that I never even thought about. Mm -hmm. We do gallery walks and poster presentations and yeah. just, I, just like figuring out ways to do stuff. And I, and I, talking about wanting to be right all the time, I <laughs> I went into this and I was like, everything's going to go right the first time. And that was yeah. stupid because it's yeah. like you said, no one knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and you screw up all the time. Say, like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again. And yeah. then you just fix it. But that, that mentality of this thing we're doing, there's like a, there's always like a 60% chance that this might be terrible. And just accepting that yeah. has been huge, but oh my gosh, the, the, the modeling thing was a big hurdle and it's been cool to see how that has grown throughout the semester. Yeah. And I also wonder, because I know as I have so many teachers in my life, I know that this has been such a hard shift, such a unexpected shift. And I, I, I kind of wonder if, even though this has been exhausting to a lot of people, if there's actually going to come, be, like, come out of it a lot of innovation because you've, you've been forced to be innovative, but now like when you go back in the classroom, which is like your natural habitat for teaching, like if there's going to be like just this explosion of different ways to do pedagogy and like, I don't know, I just, I feel like I, I don't ever want to say that something this awful is going to, I mean, we, we can only say that something good might come out of it. Right. But like this idea that, you know, someone like you might be like, listen, we did, we were able to do this remotely. Can you imagine what we can do when we are physically in the classroom together in whatever way that's going to end up being, you know, who, when we don't know, but I think about that and it kind of, it kind of makes me excited and I don't know what your response to that is as someone who has been living through it and I haven't. Well, I, okay. So I'm, I'm so glad that you bring that up. I was listening to NPR a couple of days ago and I think that mm -hmm. one of the, and, and to take that and like bring it back to the conversation around equity and in, in, in education, yeah. um, one of the most most important things to to come out of this, I think, in in terms of closing the achievement gap, is that we have learned that we can have a student doing a virtual college class in St. Louis that's only offered in Chicago, yeah. and so and 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 
And that is just playing out in so many different ways because because every student should have access to AP classes. Every student should have access to IB classes. There should be no lack of access for those because if one kid has them, then the other kid should have them. And it shouldn't matter where you live, especially if you're in public school. And that's and, and that's one of the biggest things that I think is going to come out of this mm-hmm. is that students are not going to be limited to the classes that they can take because of where they live, which yeah. should have always been the case. But now it's shown us that we can really do that. And, yeah. Yeah. and I mean, there, there are days that that just seems like, oh my God, how could we possibly do that? But it doesn't matter how, how we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. Yeah. Like I, um, I, I we're, we're going to do that in, in my district, maybe next year so Uh so i'm the only one in the district that teaches this one class and Uh so we're just gonna like let other kids take the take the class because i mean it 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 shouldn't matter where where you are let's just give them the zoom link um and and while that does present some challenges in a in a lab class like there are ways to do it as long as you have a classroom culture where you can have discussions and talk about the content like just, yeah. just do it. Just, just, just do it. This is not a hard problem at all. Let's just yeah. make it happen. That's a really, that's a really good point. So I want to close our conversation um, and go back to something you said at the very beginning when you said that you, as a biology teacher, you have had conversations about police brutality, about supremacy. And so <clears throat> I'd love to hear what what your kids are saying, what your students are saying, where they are, what can, what do I need to know? Oh my gosh. So first of all, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. So first of all, okay. thank you for asking. Sure. Second, second of all, um, I think, so I'm going to talk about this in two parts. So, uh-huh. so part one, I want to talk about middle school a little bit. Yeah. Um, so when, when I taught seventh grade, seventh graders um, just are in a weird kind of developmental stage where some of them are like really advanced and some of them are stuck in fifth grade and they're all in different points. Yeah, so so when I was teaching in middle school and the verdict for the Stockley case and that verdict came down during our lunch break and after lunch was advisory. And so we had the same group of, of advisory students every year. It's like this small group where you do yeah. study time or whatever. And it was a Friday. And I remember during lunch being like, oh my God, we have to talk about this. This is not something that we're just going to let go because as, and, and, and I feel this more and more, the longer I teach, especially in, especially where I teach that if, if I, as a white teacher, as a white woman who teaches students of color, am mm-hmm. allowing not, am, am, am refusing to have a conversation, refusing to open that door, that yeah. that's unacceptable because I am in a space where I, and, and it is not even my space. My space belongs to my students, regardless of where I teach. And so that is my job to bring that up in conversation or, or, and to have a purposeful discussion. And, and so that day in advisory, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. Um, I asked them to, I, I said, okay, this is what's going on. And, uh, and they were outraged. Uh, as they sh- as they should be as as I was too, and and I said okay if if you had to make a slogan for the city of St Louis because we had that was the first time I'd ever really talked about the my, Michael Brown pr- protests with my students before yeah. and and they told me things that I knew had happened but had 
it's totally different to see something on the news and then hear it out of the mouth of a 12 year old. And, yeah. and, and, who they was did, and they grade, made, who was an early grade schooler when it was going on. Right. Yeah. Grade. yeah. 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 And, and they made these beautiful, like stained glass window things for my, for, for my classroom windows with different words and different sayings on them. Some were just pictures for, 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 for St. Louis and, and some, and some were angry and some were sad and some were hopeful. And it was just all manner of things, but that was what and we kept it up the re the rest of the year. It was like this cool stained glass thing that was there the rest of the year, and and that, and so and so that that's that that that's one way to 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 talk about this and and to and to give just like they they made this beautiful thing and it was a just a moment of reflection and group conversation around that. And so that was in middle school, and actually, so we just. Actually, there's a lot of a lot of ways I could talk about this. Um, so, uh, in actually just this week, nope, last week, mm -hmm. um, the, the Thursday after the insurrection on the Capitol, um, yeah. I absolutely refused to start class without talking about that, <laughs> because and, and again, I think and I think this more and more the longer I'm teaching that we cannot do biology until we recognize the context of the day at hand. And so the day that 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 Brianna Taylor's killers were not had had no charges filed against them, that was a day where in class we cried and the chat was really sad because we were all in this space together of yeah. are you serious this is happening again? Yeah. And and <laughs> And kids will send private emails, but they'll also just say things in the chat and just open it up for conversation. But what was different about the insurrection at the Capitol was they they had questions, and 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 sometimes students knew the answer to questions, and sometimes I knew the answer to questions. And it and and maybe it was happening in other classes. I don't know, but saying explicitly, I recognize that the way that these white supremacists were treated is different than the way that Black Lives Matter protesters were treated over the summer. And had right. those people on Wednesday been Black, that would have looked really different. And, 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 yeah. and, students, were, and students had said that to me the day before. And it, and it is, it's just so, it's so different to hear a reporter on the news say it, and then to hear a 15-year-old young Black man tell you that he is afraid to walk past a police officer and it it just gets me every time and i'm like what are we what are we doing <laughs> as as a as a as a country as a as a as lawmakers who are mostly white like what are we doing that this is not something that we have fixed and 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 students say that and it just continues to come up and i mean as and going back to the whole like you don't have to be right as a teacher you just got to be there you got to be there yeah. and you got to listen and being a human in those moments with my students i'm not a teacher we're just humans having a conversation and i yeah. and i and i'm a white human and so i have a different i my my understanding of this is really different than the perspective of my students who 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 are black and students of color but just having that conversation as human beings is 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 different yeah
Yeah. Well, I have some uh, sad news for you. You actually are a youth minister. You're just doing ministry in a very different way. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not actually sad. It's probably, it's great. But I, I think that, you know, this, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always very tentative to, you know, be like, wow, like you're like, making change and doing all this stuff. But, and, and I do think that's true, but I also think that like you, I know you well enough to know that that's not, you're not, you, nothing that you are doing, nothing that like, you are not working in Ferguson, Missouri because you're like, I'm a white lady who's gonna change it all. You know, like, I, I mean, it's really, really such a weird, shitty, thin line, but like, I'm, I just, all I have to say is I'm glad that the students have you, but most importantly, that the, that you have the students, right? That you have these teachers in your life that are going to affect you regardless of where you work, regardless of where you are your whole life. And I just think that that is such a powerful thing that I know you realize, and that's like the biggest gift. So that's, I'm that's so really lucky cool. to work where I work and have the students I have. So thank you. Yeah. So I guess, and oh, the one thing I did want to say as a biology teacher that I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of generational trauma and the body carrying trauma. Right. And so I, 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 even though I said I was going to only ask one more question, is there, have you guys ever talked about that in your class? Um, not in my classes. It was actually, so generational trauma is actually something that I learned about when I got to the high school. It was mentioned really briefly in, in a professional development. And I was like, wait, what? Really? Yeah. 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 And, um, cause, cause we've just started to do anti-racist and equity work in our district, which is the fact that we're just starting it. I mean, I'm glad we're doing it, but also yeah. we should have been doing this a while ago. Um, yeah. and it came up in a PD and I was like, oh, Oh, and so we have never talked about that in, in my classroom. I, I would really like to at, at some point, um, cause right. it is incredibly important and informs so many experiences. Uh, yeah. Um, it, yes. I, 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 like, I, I like I, that you, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, you still are being a biology teacher when you are bringing up these conversations because they every conversation you're talking about involves physical bodies, right? And like the harm or the, you know, disrespect or whatever it might be of a physical body, right? So anyway, so I just, I was just thinking about yeah. that when you were talking about it and it's just kind of cool in a terrible way how, it, how there is these, there is this pretty serious connection with it. And I think that sometimes, especially with teachers, it's, it's much easier to get involved in like the, you know, just the textbook math class, textbook biology class. And like all of the teachers that I know, regardless of their subject matter, are there because they're teachers, not because of their subjects, right? And so I think that that you're, you're a really great example of what teaching really is, right? Because that's what it really is. Okay, I'll stop talking. Well, I have to talk in a couple of seconds. So now we're going to switch gears and you get to ask me anything that you'd like in my moment of vulnerability. I should have like a drum okay. or something. 
you, you, you need like a fancy sound effect for this section. Like, <laughs> bum, bum, nah, I, could technically, I could, I could do that. That actually would be really funny. Okay. What's your question? <laughs> okay. So I have been thinking about this and I don't know if you know this, um, or even <laughs> remember this. So we watched never let me go and Visa of the Southern wild when oh. the first time I worked at Tower Hill. And, and I, I can't believe, I, I, I don't think I've ever shared this with you. Never Let Me Go has become one of my most favorite films ever. Have you read the I, book? I am, I started it and then I had to return it because I got afraid that the library was going to find me. So I need to go to Half Price Book and find like a $3 copy because I'm afraid okay. of library fines because then I never pay them. Um, but I, I like wrote a paper about it in college, blah, blah, blah. So okay. these two movies that have like informed so much of my experience, I would like to know what is a piece of art, whether it is a movie or a piece of music or a, or a photograph or what's yeah. a piece of art that really speaks to you and why? Mm. So there is a Turkish photographer named Ara Gular. There is this photograph, and actually I've only known about it for like a couple of years, but, and there's a meaning to it because I've also been to Istanbul. And so there's a photograph that he has done where it's two metal chairs that are kind of askew. They're not like, they're not really looking at each other, but they're, it's obvious that there were like two people were sitting in them in some capacity, in some way, right? And, and then it's the, it's, they're black, it's a black and white photo. And the, and the, the scene is um, the, the Bosphorus with the bridge going over it. It doesn't really matter because the real reason why that I love it so much is because it's a little bit out of focus. And there's like a real dreamy quality and it's taken at night and there's like the lights are kind of, they're kind of foggy and you just, you don't really know the story, but you want to, because, because again, there's no people in the picture. You don't know why the chairs are a little askew. Like you don't, everything is a little bit out of focus and it just, there's something about it that like, I love, I love the kind of romance of it and like the mystery of anyone could look at it and be like, and make up their own kind of version of what could have potentially happened. A horrible thing could have happened before the picture was taken the most beautiful thing could have happened and dependent on the person who is looking at the picture, uh, the story can be drastically different or potentially the same, right? So that's, so that's the sort of art that I really like where it's, there's just, you know, like with Never Let Me Go, I mean, there's, and even Beasts of the Southern Wild, like there's such, the story is so strong, but there's, there's so much unknown in it right? Like we never really, we only take away from never let me go, like whether or not anything that they were doing was ethical. And some people would totally say that it is, but other people would be like, this was the worst thing you could have possibly done. Right. And so, and similar with Beasts of the Southern Wild, I mean, there's all this background that you, like, you don't really know you assume that these people are living here because it's after Katrina, but it actually, we're not sure. And so you don't know if there is an inhabitant of this 
area in Louisiana because people wanted to be there or because they were forced to be there. And so there's like this magical quality, um, you know, kind of the magical realism that I feel like is also like that picture where you don't, you're bringing your own thing into it, right? Yes. So well, you're going to, you're going to put the link to like the picture, right? Because okay. I really want to see. I'll send, okay, cool. I'll send you a picture. I'll send you a link to it. I mean, it's like the simple, it's, and it's also like, it's not, there's nothing fantastic about it. I mean, I think it's beautiful, but there's nothing where like, I think, I think it's like one of those pictures where like someone could just have it in their house and people would be like, well, that's nice. But like, they wouldn't be like in awe, right? And I think that's, that's also kind of how I view art too. Everything, there's, there's beauty in most things to me, right? And so like, mm -hmm. I don't really, you know, I even think about that with like music. Like there's a lot of music that I love, like Philip Glass and like Olafar Arnold's, which is tremendously soft. Philip Glass can be very loud, but very soft and very repetitive. And I think a lot of people get very bored with that. But like that, there's a part of that for me that helps my mind wander. Um, that, you know, other things are too busy. And I... And I can't put my own story into it. So there you go. I, I, I love that. Well, especially the concept of putting every, anybody looking at something, yeah. whether it's big, I, I love, I love that music analogy that you just used that, that mm -hmm. you can bring your own story to it. It's, oh my, oh my gosh. It's like, um, okay. So you, you know, Fantasia, mm -hmm. Like the pieces and and those pieces of music are, are very different than 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 what you're describing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Ascribing a story sure. to 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 something and mm -hmm. and what and and what is that? Do you have to know the whole story? No, you're mm -hmm. just you're just getting a glimpse of it. I I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's also like how I have no problem with adaptations because I can I can completely divorce the original story, Harry Potter, whatever it is. And there's always going to be things left out because the person who wrote the story is more than likely not the person who is now creating a different piece of art from the story. And so it doesn't yeah. I mean like, who am I to be like pissed because, you know, I wanted more of Dumbledore's backstory in the seventh or whatever the hell number it was because that was my, I liked that the most in the book, right? I mean, like, but at the end of the day, they were like, we've got two hours. We can't do that. You know, so I just, but I know a lot of people are like very purist about that sort of stuff, but I don't, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> if you had chosen any other example, I would have been like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yes, I don't know. Yeah. So anyways, wow, this has been a lot of fun. I am so glad that I got to talk to you and see your little face. What a gift you are. Oh my and gosh. It's kind of crazy that I've basically known you for half of your life. And probably in some ways, some of the most, you know, important parts of your life so far. So that's, so that's pretty special. So yeah, yeah I'm so, so thanks, happy to have you in my life. This has been so wonderful. Oh my gosh. Always good to talk yeah, to you. You can listen, you can listen to yourself now. It's hard. it's hard but you just get over it really quickly <laughs> so anyways thank you for being on my pod and i hope to talk to you soon okay yeah absolutely i am so lucky to know such incredible thoughtful people and i thank you for listening 
Come back soon for another episode of It's Just You and Me. <laughs>